Before I get into the Scripture, Thursday night the Lord started speaking to us in prayer. It was a word I've heard for a while. It's a word I knew, a word I knew was needed to be preached. And then Thursday night, God showed up in our prayer group and kind of slapped us all. Am I right? Kind of slapped us all. Put us right in our place. And uh, went right along with what I knew I was supposed to speak today. And then Friday, Friday night, God slaps me in the face again. And I'm putting this message together and I'm trying to figure out how to sugarcoat it. To make it a little bit sweet, but as Pastor Chad shared a long time ago, sugar does not last, but protein does. So I may offend you, it may be aggressive, I don't know how it's going to come out, I'm going to share it the way God gave it to me, but I'm also going to share it with you the way he was speaking it in worship just a minute ago, and I'm going to just let him talk. It may be confusing here and there, because I'm going to have to jump around for what he wants to say, but... uh Yeah, let's get to it. So last week, Pastor Chad talked about Ezekiel 37, and he talked about the uh, the valley of the dry bones. And he talked about how it's believed that that was an Israeli army that had died. And uh, that's a powerful concept. I'm not so sure that God's army isn't dead sometimes. Our, our God's army, right? I don't, I'm not so sure the army's not a valley of dry bones. And, uh, <laughs> but anyway, I'm going to read Ezekiel 37. I'm going to start eight, and it's only going to be two ver- or three verses I'm going to read real quick. And it says, And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them. This is after he just prophesied that the bones would rise and there'd be flesh upon them and sinew and muscles, right? And they did. They got up. And there were these bodies walking around. And they were zombies. They were That's what they were. They were walking around without a soul. They had no life in them, but they were walking around. And I don't know if that ministers to you, but it does me. That sometimes we're just walking around with no life in us. We pray over and over and over and over and over for revival. But sometimes we're just walking around without life in us. I looked and behold, there was some new on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. There's no breath in them. Walking around without the breath of God in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus said the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breathe and breathe on the slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath came into them and they lived. And they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Lord, I pray, Lord. I pray, God, that you would do that here, Lord. I pray the winds would come from the four corners, Lord. I pray you would breathe in us, Lord, and that we would rise. We would rise a great army. That we would no longer walk around dead. We would no longer walk around empty bodies, Lord. We would no longer 
Lord, we would not be the way we are now. No matter where we think we're at, but you would completely change us, Lord. I pray you'd get me out of your way and you'd be able to speak, Lord. Amen. So, hmm. we're in prayer the other night on Thursday night, and uh, it's going well. It's going really well. We're covering all of our basis of things that needed prayed over. And then we started praying for schools. We were praying God would get back into schools. We started praying that, well, everywhere God was taken out of, He would be back there, right? How many of you guys would love to see God back in schools? How many of them would love to see God back in your workplace? How many of you would like to see God back in our government, right? We want to see that because He's not in those places. Do we know why God's not in those places? We do? Why? Exactly right. It's our fault. We are the reason God is not somewhere. It's not they. We are the they. We're the only they that knows God. We're it. If God is not somewhere, it's because you have not taken Him there. It's because you haven't taken Him there. If you if you think, man, I just wish there was Christian people in my workplace. Have you talked to them about Christ? Have you done that? Have you prayed, God, breathe life into this place? There's this a valley of dry bones, Lord, do something here? Are you praying for that, or do we just sit around complaining because it's not done? Because it don't look the way we want to look. Right? And I'm going to tell you this. This is something God's speaking to me from the other night when we were in here. And whenever I first started talking about this, we started talking about how the reason why God ain't in schools is because we're not taking God into schools because we're afraid we may get kicked out of the schools. Who cares? Who cares if you get kicked out of school? Homeschool your kids if that's the case. Do something, but I would rather your kid go get sent home because they are sharing the gospel than your kid sit in the church and be dead or sit in the school and be dead. I would much rather it be happening that way. I'd rather you get fired from your job because you were preaching to somebody than you to sit there and wish God was there, right? So what was the, the reaction to when this was shared? The reaction was from one person, well, they've made it hard for us to do it. Guess what? They're supposed to make it hard for you to share the gospel, but they really didn't even make it that hard. You know how hard it is to share the gospel? Anybody? It's very simple. If you know the gospel, all you have to say is, hey, we were all sinners. We were all messed up. Jesus Christ came to this earth to live for us. He died for our sins. He took them to hell to where they are now. He raised again. If we believe in Him, we'll raise with Him. That's the gospel. How hard was that to share? But we say it's hard. It's tough. What if I get in trouble? What if somebody gets mad at me? Who cares if people get mad at us? Who cares, really? I mean, honestly, do you really care if people don't like you? They don't like you already. Right? It's a true statement. And there's a lot of people who are drawn to you because you have the gospel in your life and you're still not sharing it with them. Am I right? Do you have people in your life that come to you and they're like, there's something different about you, and you're like, oh, thank you. 
Or you can say, you know what's different about me? It's Jesus. It's simple. Sharing the gospel is simple. We have complicated it. We have made it hard. We make everything hard. Scripture was written for a sixth grade level. Most of you are past sixth grade. It's very easy to share Scripture. Right? We're past that level. We should know it. Half of you have grew up your whole lives in church, and most of you have been in at least five, ten years. You know some Scripture you can share when somebody's going through a rough time, right? So, if that wasn't enough, as I'm praying for the Word on Friday night, I get Word. See, I love you all. I love everybody in this place. There's not a person in here I don't think is great but there's a certain people who touch my heart different than everybody else. And that's the youth kids who grew up in my youth group. Right? Pastor Chad can attest to that. Those kids that grew up in your youth group, there is something about them that it doesn't matter if you don't see them for 20 years. When you see them, your heart aches for them. Friday night, I find out a youth kid of mine died. A couple of you know him. He yeah, he came to church here a couple times on Sundays, but most of you wouldn't know him from that. But he's a kid. I, I love this kid. He had a troubled life. He had a rough life, and he he had a hard time sharing with people. But last year, we started connecting again. Started telling me he's going through some rough stuff. Right? And I said, "Why don't we meet together and we'll discuss it? I'll help you through it." And we had made plans to meet together, and I was going to help him through it. And then there was one excuse after the other why he couldn't do it, right? And then I lost contact with him. And then he dies on Friday. Tore me up. And I know what a lot of you are thinking. In your head, you're thinking, that's not on you. You can't reach them all. You can't do it all. And that's what a lot of you guys are thinking. And if that's your way of thinking, this message for you. When I shared that with Pastor Chad, you know what he did? His heart broke. He said, I am so sorry. Because you know what? We may not be able to reach them all, but that should not stop us from trying to reach them all. Right? If your thought when somebody dies and they're not saved is, man, I wish somebody could have reached them. Your first thought should be, man, Lord, what could I have done different? Lord, help me to be the change in other people's lives. But that's not our thought. You know why? Because we like comfort. We like to be comfortable. We like to not be under attack. We like to, to sit at home when we're tired. We like to be comfortable. And I've shared this over and over. The biggest threat to the American church is not losing our lives. The American church, if somebody was coming and kill us all right now, we'd be like, awesome, I died for the Lord. But if somebody came in here and said, you know what? We're going to take your building from you. You've got to meet somewhere else. We'd all be like, how dare they offend me? We're more worried about our comfort than we are sharing the gospel. We're more worried about our comfort than other people's lives. You know, I love that Josh got up here heartbroken over the Afghan people. Because those are people who are dying and we don't know if they're saved. We have to stop being in the way that, well, I mean, you know, we can't do it all. Maybe not, but we can do more, right? We can join in a fight. We can be like these bones that got breath breathed into them. 
and join the fight, right? We literally have to get into this fight. We have to get in this fight. I don't care if the building in Evansville never gets, if that building in Evansville never gets done, does that mean we can't bring people to Christ? If we never get a cafe back here, does that mean we can't minister to kids? Right? If the government comes up and says, we're going to shut down every church, do you just pack it up and go home and sit down? We can't do this anymore. We have to have a heart for God so much that whenever somebody is struggling, we share that gospel. When somebody says, I can't do this, you're saying, nope, you can't. And you share the gospel. We have to get off of our laziness and our softness and our comfort, and we got to get in this fight. You know what happens when you share the gospel with somebody? Trust me, I know I've done this. Right afterwards, you're like, oh, sweet, that was awesome. Who can I share it with now? It becomes contagious. It's just that first initial time, it's hard because you don't know how it's going to be received. But when you do share it, you're like, whew, great, who's next? Right? And you can't tell me you never felt like the Lord wasn't telling you to share with somebody. Because if you're a Christian, that's what we do. But then we also cower. So we have to be in this fight and, mm, and if whenever somebody dies, it does not affect you if they're not saved, you better take that to the Lord. Right? I don't, I don't care about the rest of it. If that building in Evansville stays the way it is right now and we open the day, I'm okay with that if souls are saved. If souls are saved. Ryan and I were talking about it this morning. All we want to do is see that place open up and people come in and be healed. That's all we want. It needs to happen that way. If God is not the center of what we're doing and people the reason we're doing it, then just stay home. I will tell you this. This is going to be a bold thing and I know Chad will back me up on it. If you don't want to see souls saved, we don't want you here. We don't want you here. You can stay home. You can have your own country club somewhere else. But we want to see souls saved, and we need you to be a part of it. Okay. Now we'll get into the regular word here. Uh, so, First Samuel 17 says, And the Philistines moved forward and came near to David with a shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, Now I want you to remember, hear what Goliath told him, he said, if you come to me, I'm going to kill you. And the beasts are going to eat you. And that's exactly what happens when we join into a fight, is the enemy tries to tell us how we're going to fail. Tries to tell us what will happen in the end, right? You're going to die. You're going to do this. People are going to hate you. Nobody's going to receive it, and you're going to sound like an idiot because you don't know what you're talking about. Am I the only one that's ever happened with? 
right when you're about to go minister. And I know I've had to pray with Stacy before she goes minister to for she'll tell you that doubt seeks in immediately. And the enemy tries to hold you back because that's what the enemy does. But David, boy, I love David's response. David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin. He came with some worldly tools, some stuff that would kill you. And these weren't like small things. These were huge because Goliath carried huge stuff. So what he had was really there to make you fearful. He said, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. We need to learn that. I come to you in the name of Jesus. Right? When Satan's trying to stop us, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I walk in the authority of Jesus. Right? Nobody can stop that. What is your reaction to that? I imagine Goliath's like, uh, I don't have a cut down for that. Like, okay. Right? But that should be our thought process. I'm going to step out in the name of Jesus. I'm going to speak. The God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. Do you speak to the enemy like that? I am serious. Do you speak to the enemy with boldness of, you are not going to stop me. Jesus is who I'm here for. And you're about to see him show off. What if you prayed like that? What if you walked into a, a situation? What if you walked into war, work like that? What if tomorrow you're about to go into work and you're like, Satan, it's on. Today you're going to see Jesus just show up and this place is changing because of Jesus and you can do nothing about it. What if you walked in your place of work like that tomorrow? How much different would at least you be walking in with some confidence, right? But instead we walk in and think, well, I can't share it here. I'll get in trouble. Who cares? This is urgency. We need lives saved. If today Jesus Christ come back, can you say you did everything possible for those around you to know him? Can you say that with confidence? Let me rephrase that even. Can you say you did enough for somebody around him to know him? Somebody around you. Even just one. We, we're scared to talk to one half the time. What if it's just one? said, I will strike you down and cut off your head. Man, that's boldness. Satan, we are going to do that to you. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all of this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly. I like that, but he didn't run away. Because sometimes we pray a powerful prayer, and then we run away. Right? We're like, oh, you called me on it. Now i got to do something. Now, David took off running towards him. Where are we at here? Quickly toward him, the battle line, uh, quickly ran towards the battle line to meet the Philistine, and David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and stuck the Philistine in the forehead. And, uh, man, that's awesome. 
That is awesome. Now, some of you guys grew up in children's church, and you see the the depiction of David as this little kid with a small slingshot, taking a little pebble and hitting a giant in the head, and he falls over dead. That's not how that happened. It's not how it happened. These slings, they're called shepherd slings. I wish I probably, if I knew Brian was here, he probably has a shepherd sling. I don't know. But you don't, I figured he would. But if you have a shepherd sling, they're a little bit long, and they got a little pouch on the end of it, and you swing them, you let go of one side, and, and like, they're powerful. I mean, I could, I could take a shepherd's sling if I was good at it. I'm not. And I can hit that wall, and I can put a hole through that wall with a shepherd's sling if I'm good at it. And they would practice with it. Shepherds used them because, David, I'll try, or uh, Rick, I'll try to slow down for you. It, uh, shepherds used them for multiple reasons. One is, the reason why it's called a shepherd's sling is, is it is a perfect weapon for not only tending to your sheep, but also to keep prey out, right? And a shepherd's sling had the long thing on it, but it also had tassels on the end. And whenever it'd be swinging around, it would make a noise. And what that would do is it quickly know, make the sheep know they're to get in line, right? It was great because you can barely swing it, let it go, and it may go... 10, 20 miles an hour and it hit a sheep and its wool would bounce off the wool, but the sheep would know, hey, come back, right? They didn't have to go run after the sheep usually. They were able to use that to bring them back. But they could also get them up to such speeds that whenever they would let go of one of those stones, they could fly about 100 miles an hour. And if they hit that, that wolf or whatever it was right in the head, it would penetrate and it would kill it. So so David didn't go out there with something that was just a hope and a prayer and I hope it works. He went out there with something he knew. He went out there with what he knew worked. Right? And, and what what the Israel, Israel army wanted to happen was they wanted him to take the armor of Saul. They wanted him to go out there with a the sword of Saul with things that he didn't know and they wanted him to fight the way the rest of the world fights. And he said, No. I'm going to fight the way God's trained me to fight. Right? He didn't have to fight the way the world fights. Do you guys know that there's there's historical evidence of uh, sling bearers in, in wars in ancient times and wars that would win the whole war just by being a sling bearer? Because those things can travel like a quarter of a mile. That's a long distance, right? They can travel that far. They're actually, you can be more accurate and do more damage than you can with a bow. If you're good with it. He had a weapon. He didn't walk into it without something. He didn't walk into it and say, I'm going to take off running towards him. Hopefully God does something. He walked into it knowing he had the victory. Because he had the weapon that wins. And he took off running, and he slings that thing, and it goes, wow, right through his skull. And he falls. And he goes over, and he takes his sword from him, and he cuts the guy's head off, right? He said, so the stone sank into his forehead. He fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in, in the hand of David. There was no worldly weapon, something that the world tried to give him in his hands.
Then David ran and stood over to Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. Then the Philistines saw that their champion was dead and they fled. You want to see, you want to see God come into a school? You want to see God come into your workplace? Go in and slay one with a gospel. And then Satan's going to get nervous. And it opens it up for you to do more. Like I said, you start getting excited about it. You start having confidence, but then automatically all, all the other stuff, the enemy's like, uh-oh, something's happening. Something's happening. But it's got to start with you taking down one. you got to share it with one. And at that... The men of Israel and Judah rose without a shout, or with a shout, and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sherim as far as Gath and Ekron. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. Now, you are not the only Christian. In your workplace, you're not the only Christian around your lifetime or around your, your, your life, like where you're at, the things you're involved in. You're not the only one who's a believer. But you may be the only one willing to get in the fight right away, but if they see you do it, the rest will join in. But somebody has to be the first one to, to get up and do it. Somebody has to be the first one. If Pastor Chad goes in your workplace and he starts preaching the gospel... And somebody's saved. Everybody's like, oh yeah, he's a pastor and he doesn't work here. Of course it's easy for him. But if somebody inside of the workplace comes in and does something, immediately it catches on. I can do that. Several years ago, I led a guy at work to, to Christ. We were driving down the road and he told me, he said, oh man, we're going to hell. And I had to quickly say, whoa, no. You can if you want, but I refuse that. I said, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to spend my life with Jesus. And he said, no, we're having too much fun. Christians can't have fun. To which opened it up for me to share the gospel with him, to explain that Christians have more fun than anybody. And then he starts asking questions. He said, wait a minute, if that's the case, can you answer some questions? Every time I ask Christians, they don't know them. And we had a dialogue because I knew the word. And we had this dialogue, and he got saved. So I told some of my other Christian friends at work about it, and they start sharing gospel out on the route, and other people start getting saved. But it had to start with somebody, right? It has to start somewhere. And it has to be, you, you have to know your word. That's our weapon. We don't fight like the world fights. And we should not be fighting worldly fights. Okay? I'm going to try to get through this quick because we're going to do communion afterwards. So, Okay, if we go to uh, 2 Corinthians 10, we're going to read about what Paul said. I'm going to try to go through this quick. Paul says, I, Paul, myself, entreat you by my meekness, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble, when face to face with you and bowed towards you when I am away. He had just been accused of, of being weak in their presence, but strong when he's gone. 
That's what they were telling him, right? And there's people uh, in Corinth that were attacking his character, right? That's what he's addressing here. They were attacking who he was. Scripture will tell you over and over it was a false prophet saying things about him. And, uh, yeah, we're going to go. I just want you to understand what he's doing here. He's actually defending who he is. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. I like that. I'll be bold if I have to be when I get there. That's pretty much what he's saying. Don't make me have to be that way. He says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. I am not so sure we're at this point. I am not so sure that we're not fighting worldly fights right now. I am not so sure that a lot of our wars are not fleshly. There are too many things that I hear constantly from Christians of where their anger, where their disgust is that does not line up with Scripture. And you're thinking like, whoa, that's hard. That's hard. Those are important things. And they may be if they're righteous. If they're because you want to see people saved, they, they would be if you're doing it out of a Christian standpoint. But usually we're doing it out of anger, and I don't want to see my comforts taken. Our reasoning for doing things is a lot different than us doing it, right? And I'm not going to mention those things. You, you probably already know, and you may be boiling inside of, don't you dare tell me I'm not right in that. But you're not. If I can't mention something to you without you immediately getting defensive about it, something of the world, you probably need to take that to the Lord. Right? And I'm going to tell you what, after we're done with this message, and if you come to me and you're like, well, I didn't agree with this part, I don't care. Take it to the Lord. You can get mad at Him. Right? Get mad at the Lord if you want, and you take it to the Lord. And if I'm wrong, he will say, Eddie was wrong, and you're right. But if I'm right, he'll say, yes, stop fighting the world's battles and start fighting my battle. That's what he'll tell you. Stop walking in the flesh, walk in the Spirit. That's what he's going to tell you. Trust me, because it happens to me all the time, because there's a lot of things. i got a lot of opinions, and I'll share them with you. And then God will tell me you're wrong. Not because my opinion's wrong, but my actions are wrong. My fight was wrong. What I'm doing is wrong, right? If my intentions are not to see souls saved, but instead that my agenda is done, I'm wrong. Because we all have an agenda. Well, they need to know this. They really need to know what I have to say. They're just not listening. Guess what? They're not going to listen. Because you're going about it the wrong way. I can go into somewhere and force the gospel down their throat. The greatest message ever. And because of them going in there, because I want them to receive my message and I don't want to see them saved, it'll fall on deaf ears and they'll never listen to me again. Ever. I will never have a witness in that place because I'm trying to force people into what I 
believe instead of trying to share the gospel and let Christ change our lives. We are fighting a worldly battle in a worldly way when we do that. It has to be a spiritual battle fought by the Holy Spirit through us. I need you to know that. It says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. I want to reread that, and I want you to figure out where you're at on this spectrum. Because <laughs> when I read it, I'm thinking, I don't think I do that good at that. So I'm going to reread that. We destroy every, or we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Let me tell you what I fell miserably at this. All of my thoughts do not line up with Christ's thoughts. I do not even take them captive. Right? When I see a good worldly argument and somebody's like, this is what's going on. And like I said, I'm not going to get into stuff, but there's a lot of stuff out there, conspiracy-wise or even not conspiracy-wise, trying to like, there, there's some truths out there, and then we'll pour into it and we'll, we'll try to get to the bottom of what a good argument. But that argument is not a godly argument, and it's not even... Uh, brought forth by Scripture or by God, and we haven't even passed it through Christ yet, and we're already putting it back out on other people. We're already giving it back to others. Never letting it pass through Christ. Never stopping and praying about it. And, and uh, I'm going to share a couple of tips on taking every thought captive. You can agree with them or not agree with them. I don't care because it's not mine. I took it from the Fire Bible. And if you don't want to take notes on them, you can go to the Fire Bible and you can look in 2 Corinthians 10 uh, and they'll have these actual tips and they'll get more defined in them. But a uh, great piece of advice. It said, take every thought captive. It says, God does know what you are thinking even if no one else does. So remember that. You may think, oh, yeah, I mean, I have those thoughts, but, you know, I just won't share them. You know what happens, actually? Not only does God know it, eventually they come out of your mouth at the worst time. And then you're like, ooh, I didn't want people to know that. But can't put it back in. It says, your mind is a battlefield. Some thoughts come from your own desires, some from outside influences, both worldly and evil forces. And I'm going to hold on that. There's more to that one, but we all know that whenever you're, you, every single day you have so many thoughts, I forget the tens of thousands of thoughts you have in, a, in, a, in an hour. I can't remember the numbers, but it's a huge amount of thoughts we have constantly in our heads. And some of them are thoughts that we have just naturally, you know, we start thinking of stuff and some are thoughts we get because we read something. Some thoughts are things we get from the internet. Some thoughts are from our friends tell us something. Some are because we watch the TV show. Some, believe it or not, some thoughts come from Scripture. And that's where those are the best thoughts. Some come from prayer. 
but we have to cap, take captive all those thoughts because there's times that Satan's trying to tell us nobody likes you. Well, you can go get involved, but you're not going to do anything good. There's times that your friends can say, you know what? We have to go out and, and, and stop this thing that really has nothing to do with Christ. And we do it because we're like, oh, that's a good thought. Sometimes we're being moved by thoughts that Christ never had intentions for us to move on because we didn't take those thoughts captive and run them through the Lord. Right? Since any ungodly thought will resist, oppose, and set themselves up against the knowledge of God. Just Jesus himself was tempted in Matthew 4. He used truth to combat the lies of the enemy. And same thing. Satan was trying to put thoughts in his head that were not necessarily unbiblical. They were just twisted scriptures. He was taking the very word of God and trying to twist it just like he did with Eve. And Jesus had to say, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not right. This is what the scripture says. Whoa, that's not right. This is what the scripture says. And when it kept happening, he said, hey, be gone from me, Satan. Right? That's how our thought process should work. We should be like, whoa, no, that don't line up with scripture. Whoa, that don't line up with scripture. And then we say, whoa, be gone from me. Right? Taking every thought captive takes immediate action. It takes immediate action. And you have to remember that because sometimes we think something and we start entertaining it. And then it starts becoming an action in itself. But it takes immediate action that right when we start thinking something, we should, that's not of the Lord. Or, whoa, God, is that you? We have to quickly decide if it's a pure, if it's decent, if it does, if it lines up with the truth of God. If it doesn't, or you are unsure, you have to turn it over to God. Now, all of those Israelites who were sitting on that battlefield and Goliath is standing out there, they never took their thoughts captive. Never once. If they did, they would have realized they could have had victory. But the Philistine kept telling them, uh, "We're gonna, you're, you're God's puny. Your God can't save you. I'm going to wipe you all out. You have no chance. And they sat there in fear because they never took that thought captive, ran it by Scripture, and realized that there's nothing bigger than our God. That He loves us and He would never leave us there. And... Nobody can defy the army of the living God. They would have knew that, but they didn't take that thought captive. Instead, they sat there in fear, wondering who would come and save them. They sat there thinking, what can I do? Right? They looked at the problem and never spoke against it. But David came in and he said, whoa, who's this guy? This doesn't line up with the God I know. See, the Israelite army was very well trained in battle. But they had worldly training. They trained to be able to fight a worldly fight. And that's a lot different than what David trained. David was in the field with his little shepherd's sling, protecting sheep. And God said, I'll always protect you. You're going to be the king. Right? You're going to be the king, so I'll protect you. I'll take care of you. 
And whenever you hear that from God, your thought process is different than whenever you're listening to the the big giant over there tell you that he's going to kill you. David didn't hear, I'm going to kill you. He heard, you're going to be king and nobody can defy the army of the living God. Because that's what he said. You can't defy the army of the living God. David heard something different than what they heard because he took that thought captive and said, whoa, 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 that don't line up with my God. I've seen it because he took me against a lion. I took that lion by the beard and killed it. He took me against a bear. I took it by a beard and I killed it. He didn't say, wow, this giant may be bigger and he got a lot of weapons. No, he remembered that God was bigger. We have to take those thoughts captive. All right, I'm going to keep on. Then that thought has to be replaced by what is what is of God, such as Philistines 4.8 says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, anything that is excellent or praiseworthy, think of those things. Do we think of those things? Honestly, on a daily basis, do we think more negative than we do positive? We think of pure thoughts more than we do impure thoughts. Do we think of what is praiseworthy more than what is coming against us? David thought of what was praiseworthy. David thought that God was what was worthy of praise, not some giant over there that can, is trying to bring him down. We have to remember all thoughts go through that. Right? I can think like, oh man, I want to say something bad about Kevin. That's not lovely. That's not praiseworthy. You know, those thoughts should be taken through our brains. Whichever president you like best, do you take those thoughts through this 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 whole mentality? Right? Not usually, most of us will. The one we don't like, whoo! Yeah, it's pretty rough, ain't it? Train yourself to focus your thoughts on Christ and eternal things rather than temporary and earthly things. If you had to think just today how many thoughts you had that were focused on Christ and how many thoughts you had focused on earthly things and temporary things, do you think it would even be close? Think of that. Do we think more permanent and Christly things than we do the temporary earthly things? That'll wreck you. And it closes out with what he's saying there of uh, in that on the fire Bible. It says, guard what you see and you hear. If you struggle with conspiracy theories, don't look at them. Stop doing it. If you struggle... With pornography, get rid of your computer. Right? If you struggle with thinking the way whatever the show is you watch as corrupting your thoughts, get rid of it. Stop watching it. Stop watching the things that are holding you back and get into the Word. We say it a lot, but if you're not in Scripture, you're not going to make it. You're not going to be a good soldier because you won't be able to go into that battle like Christ did and share the Gospel. And to share Scripture. When Satan says this, you say that. We have to be able to stand on it. And we have to believe it's true. We have to start taking these things captive. 
further on in verse 6, it says, being ready to punish every disobedience. When your disobedience or when your obedience is complete, look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. We should boast in the Lord. And we should use what the Lord gave us to build others up, not to tear them down. So if your first thought process is, is when somebody's messing up, is I'm going to go tell them they're going to hell for doing wrong. I'm going to go tell them how horrible their sins are. Because I don't like what they're doing. You're wrong. You're 100% wrong. But if your thought process is, is I'm going to go build them up and say, hey, look, I know you struggle. I know you have issues, but Christ is bigger than what you're going through. That's a whole lot different, right? Everybody's going to go to hell if they don't know Christ. Everybody. It doesn't matter if they're the nicest person in the world. But if somebody's a drug addict, hey, guess what? We all have issues. That drug addict needs to know God's bigger than what they're going through. They need to know that. And if we're not sharing it, They'll never know it. And if we don't share it out of love, it has to be out of love. For even if I boast a little too much for the authority which the Lord gave us for building you up and not destroying you, I will not be ashamed of it. Do ne- never be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say his letters are weighty and strong. But his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent we do do when present. So people need to understand at all times what you say, you're living it out. Right? I can say, I can go to somebody and say this is this is what God would have you do. I can go to them and share the gospel with them. I can go to them and say, you know, a, a relationship with Christ would be me- way more edifying for you than the life you're living. But I'm not living that away. It's going to fall on deaf ears. Your life is a testament to who Christ is in your life. If your life doesn't follow Christ, then people know. People know. It doesn't matter what you say. It matters how you live it. They will receive it if you live it. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. We do that. We always compare. I'm actually going to cut that out there. I'm going to... Connie, you don't have the rest of this. I'm going to cut about half of these scriptures out of here and because uh, we need to close. But I want you to remember that when Jesus Christ came to the earth, He knew that He was going to die. There was a conspiracy immediately that they wanted to kill Him. It was the religious people who wanted to kill Jesus. And whenever He would speak, He would speak over and over that he was going to die. 
He never tried to stop the schemes of man. He never tried to stop it because God had a plan for it. He just kept saying, hey, it's going to happen. The end times are going to happen. Pastor Chad spoke it last week about it. Hey, this stuff's going to come to pass one way or another. We cannot be distracted by it. We cannot stand around and point out how it's, oh, well, these people are doing this, these people are doing that. Yep. And Christ has a plan. That's what we share. We share the gospel. Don't get distracted by worldly plans. Do not do it. Jesus didn't. He kept sharing the gospel. He said, yeah, they're going to kill me. Guess what? I'm going to raise again. Guess what? Every one of you are going to die. Or the rapture comes. One of the two. Because 100% of the people nowadays die. There's only two in history that didn't. And you're not them. And as far as 4,000 years ago for the last one from what I think. So I think we live in the thought process that people are going to die anyway. And we make sure they know Christ. If we want to see a change in our world, it's through Christ Jesus, not through shutting down somebody's schemes. Christ can go into a place and change it. Shutting down a scheme will just temporarily hold off the inevitable. Right? Paul, in Acts 14, he got killed. Said he was stoned. They left him for dead. They drug him out of the city. You know what he did? He didn't go back and say, how dare you try to kill me? I'm going to take you to court now for trying to kill me. He didn't say that. He went on preaching. If anybody had any reason to be mad, it's the guy who kept over and over and over and over getting tortured and tried to be killed and shipwrecked. And he had a lot of reason to complain, but he never complained. He kept sharing the gospel. What's more powerful than that? What is more powerful than when somebody tries to kill you, you say, yeah, but Jesus loves me. He raised from the dead. Even though I was a sinner, Paul tells you he was the chief of all sinners. Even though I was a sinner, Jesus Christ still died for me because he loves me. He took my sin, he paid that price, and whenever he rose from the dead and he went to heaven, he gave me the promise of the same thing. What is more powerful than that? Anything I've shared with you is not more powerful than what I just shared right there. It preaches. It preaches. That's bigger than coronavirus. That's bigger than our government being as corrupt as corrupt can get. We know it. We know it's corrupt. Guess who's not corrupt? Jesus Christ. There's not a person in this country that doesn't think our government's corrupt on both sides. What they need to know is what's not corrupt. Where can I go? They need to know where they can turn. I'm going to close it out with, uh, and Ryan, you can come on up. I heard this song this morning, and uh, I really like this song. It's an uh, elevation worship song. It's called Rattle, and it's about the Valley of Dry Bones. And it says... The whole time this song's talking about the, the bones coming up and not even the people coming out of the graves. And it said, and the bones began to rattle. Rattle, rattle, rattle. And God said, live. God said, live. Hear the word. And this is what he said. Live, 
live. Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord, live. And I think that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to stop rattling around about like some dry bones. And He wants us to live. He wants to speak life to all of us. When God says live, we should live. We should live. We should ask Him for that breath of life that brings life. We need to join the battle. We need to stop sitting around waiting for something to happen. Well, why ain't Chad starting to do this? We could do a lot of good if Chad would do this. Yep, you could. You can also do a lot of good if you get off your butt and join the fight. We can do that. Don't wait on Chad. Don't wait on me. Do it in your own house. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many people had a a prayer group in their house more than once this week? When was the last time you prayed for your wife or your husband with them, with your kids? You want to talk about joining the fight? How about that? How about we do it in our homes? What if we change our homes? Then we can change everything else. What if we start there? It's a tough time. Ezekiel 37 said, God said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. That's what they say to us. We have no hope. There's no hope. And Pastor Chad shared this over and over. People keep saying there's no hope for America. There's no hope for the church. There's no hope. You're that hope. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open the graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am your Lord. When I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. The Lord wants us to come to life. He wants to open those graves, bring us out, and we know that He's the Lord. What if we walk knowing that God is God and what He said will happen? And what if we declared it? What if when you leave here and you run into people you don't know and say, hey, guess what? We're going to heaven. Jesus loves us. He died so we can go there and we're going there. Why don't you come with us? What if you walk into the restaurant and say that today? I had a friend that used to go to a restaurant after church and he would always go in and everybody would sit down after, you know, they'd go like Wendy's or somewhere like that and they said they wouldn't see him until they went around. So I asked, I was like, well, what would you do? He's like, there's a whole lot of lost people there. Right when I walked in, I noticed these things. He said, when I go out to eat, I don't go out to eat. I go out to share the gospel. There's too many lost souls for me not to be doing that. He said, and if I leave that place and I didn't get to share the gospel, I'm tore up. I messed up. There's more than what we see, is what he said. And I don't do that. But I hope I get that way. Thank you.
There's a fight going on all around us, and we're getting distracted by worldly fights. We don't need a worldly result. We need a, a, a gospel result. I'm going to call Pastor Chad up, and I don't know how he wants to do it, but we're going to take uh, communion. And we'll probably worship first, and we'll probably pray first, because I want you correct and right for the Lord before we take communion. And we'll let Pastor Chad come up and uh, take over for that. So. the Lord. Good word, Eddie. And, uh, I have asked the um, kids to come in here. We're going to take communion as a family. It's been a little while. And um, I want to read this scripture before we worship and pray. <clears throat> it says, For anyone who eats and drinks, or I'm sorry, let me go a verse earlier. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of our Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. Now let's just take that word very personally each of us, you know, that we need to examine ourselves. And so let's ask why Paul thinks we should examine ourselves. He says, for anyone who, who eats or drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many among you, now remember he's talking to the Christian body. He's saying, many among you are weak, you're sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. You say, well, man, I fell asleep while Eddie was preaching. I didn't know he was talking about me. He wasn't talking about you sleeping during Eddie's sermon, so don't, get, don't feel too bad. I might have nodded off once. <laughs> but he's telling us if we're not recognizing what the body and the blood means if we're not celebrating the body and the blood of Jesus and what it means for us we might become weak in our faith we might fall asleep in our faith and then he goes on and he says a number have fallen asleep but if we will judge ourselves, we won't come under judgment when we are judged by the Lord we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So this is our moment to take it personal and say, you know what? What does this mean to me? You know, and we need to examine ourselves of all those things that make us weak, make us fall asleep, you know, so that we are judged and disciplined so we're not condemned with the world. That's what Paul said very clearly. And so let's do that. Let's make sure that we're in Christ. We're going to sing one worship song. And it's very simple to be in Christ. It says, if we will confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of, our, of all of our unrighteousness. And so that means that if you will just in your word say, Lord, I proclaim and I receive you as the Lord 
and Savior of my life. And then you'll take that step of faith and just repent, which means turn in the other direction. And then I'm actually paid to walk with you. And this body is here to walk with you through everything. Every failure, every, you know, that's called lordship. Meaning he's going to be the Lord of my life now. How do I grow in the Lord? How do I deal with my failures? How do I deal with these things? So we're going to take one song, and you need to do that yourself. It's personal. Make sure you're in Christ. Because I want to tell you one thing before we do it. I'm going to go right into communion. When we're done, we're going to close with that. I was thinking of a very odd thing. Is the, Are the children's ministry in here? Tell them to get in here very quickly. Very quickly. Get them in here. <clears throat> Let's make sure before they get in here that everybody um, is served. Uh, can we get a basket with more in there? Make sure if somebody doesn't have them, they've got them available. You don't have to pass them out yet. <clears throat> Are they coming? Let me know it's important as a body to do. Examination is a big thing because uh, we're not all perfect, right? It's not. We've got to examine as a family one another and ourselves particularly judge ourselves that's okay to do right so you're not judging me are you Pat? no i'm telling you judge yourself don't get mad at me judge yourself um very odd thing the lord put on my heart this morning and um packers fans will appreciate this and bears fans may also appreciate it <laughs> but i was thinking how many remember an interview several years ago when the Packers had started the season off really bad and they had like a Monday, if my memory serves me correct, they had like a Monday night game. They got blown away. I think it was 2013, 14. I've got a pretty good memory. And then they went to their next game. I think it was like the Lions and they got beat again. And this team was actually at each other's throat. They were fighting. They were arguing. Packer fan probably remembers that. And there's, and he probably still has misery over it, but there, there was a press conference. And normally when things aren't going well and the team's not getting along and they're losing big time and they're questioning the leader who is Aaron Rodgers and the press conference comes and normally they're going to badger him with questions. He's going to be defensive and he's, and you know, maybe a little stressed and a little uptight. And I remember that press conference, and some of you remember, it's a famous press conference. He says, relax. And all the press would yell questions, and he'd go, relax. And then they'd yell more questions, and he'd said, relax. And it's the famous press conference called the Relax Press Conference. In fact, they made t-shirts, I think, of it, and... But they were one and two, and they really weren't doing well. And, and well, anyway, this quarterback was known to be calm. He said, relax. So it's going to be all right. Because he knew he had a really good team. 
And church, can I tell you something? There's all things around you saying, be uptight, be worried, be concerned. But can I tell you, what we're taking today with the body and the blood of Christ, just relax. We win. That team went on to win, I think, 11 out of their next 13 games. Got a bye. I think, to me, they were the best team in the playoffs when they went into the playoffs. But he knew he had the team to win. And I am more confident than him that our team wins. Every sickness that we have will very soon be gone. Very soon, every struggle that we have will be gone. We win. Relax. Can I tell you another thing? I believe we're on the verge of more fruitfulness than we've ever seen in our lives as Christians. I believe we're on the verge of victory. And I've been... Can you put that first slide up of David and Goliath that you had? My favorite part of that story, and everybody's is different, but my favorite part of the story is he ran aggressively at the giant. And I remember driving by when I was in Israel, that place where they had the battle. You can actually drive by and they'll say, yeah, right over there is where the battle's at. And I could just sense the spirit of David. I could see myself running as fast as I could straight after him. Is that picture there? No, not that one. The first one. The one before that that I really like. The very first one you put up. Yeah, there it is. And boy, that's how that valley looks when you get over there. You just see those little mountain ranges on the edges and that little valley in between. And you can just see David sprinting with confidence that I'm going to win. I could see it in myself running against the enemy and not afraid. And so just remember as we pray, you know, it's just a little tiny COVID special of juice and a wafer that's going to be hard to get off the top. All right, and take your time. Don't get frustrated. But just remember, it's a symbol of victory. We win. We don't have to be stressed or worried. We just have to say, God, am I walking in you? Am I living in you? And just when you get it, in fact, grab your juice. And if you're not right with the Lord or you want to have the Lord as the Savior of your life, just say that prayer while they're singing. And then we're going to take communion together and I'm going to dismiss and, and, and we're just going to relax in Christ and say, you know what? It's all right. It's all right. It doesn't matter if I live in Russia, the Soviet Union, old Nazi Germany. It doesn't matter if I'm in America or Africa. Relax. We win. We win. Right? So let's pray and let's get right with God during this time. If you want to be... Confess Him as the Lord of your life. Do it now. And then you say, what do I do after that? Come to me and I'm going to water baptize you. Hallelujah. Can we do that? Be obedient to the Lord. Father, we come before you right now, Lord God. Do it in your words. 
Lord, we proclaim you the Lord of our life. Lord, we proclaim you our Savior, our one and only one. Lord, we proclaim that today, Lord God. Oh, Lord, continue to fill us with your Spirit right now, Lord. Oh, Lord, pour your Spirit upon us, Lord. Help us walk in faithfulness to you, Lord, all the days of our lives, Lord God. Thank you. We proclaim it today, Lord God. In your name we pray. Hallelujah. Anybody that did not receive the needs, pray, take from you. Anybody that did not receive, I'm going to give you a tutorial here before I read the scripture real fast. If you will take this little tab right here. And there's a plastic film above that, so make sure. Some people got confused last time and had a hard time opening it. So if you'll take the plastic on top, and you can go and do that now. We're getting ready to take the body here, but that plastic film should go right off. Even with my fingers. Hallelujah. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so thankful, Lord, all over the world today, Lord. Believers all over the world have trusted in you and their hope is in you and their joy is in you and their remembrance is in you. And we thank you, Lord God. Father, it is a good day every day, Lord God. Lord, it won't be long, Lord God. We're ever closer to you and we thank you. Lord, you're bigger than any hurt. You're bigger than any insult. You're bigger than any bitterness, any anger, any pain any abuse. You're bigger than any sin or any failure, Lord God. Lord, you broke your body, Lord, for us on that cross. Lord, you uh, left captivity captive and was resurrected for us to lead the way. Now there's no doubt about our future, Lord God. It's brighter every day. We're ever closer. We thank you we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. It says, In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whatever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take it together. Oh, Lord, this cup that you said you'll drink with us in eternity. It's so sweet, Lord. Lord, it makes me whole. It makes me perfect in your eyes. Lord, my sins are washed away, Lord God. The blood on my hands is gone, Lord God. Oh, Father, you have washed away my sins, Lord God, for eternity. As far as the east is from the west, so are my sins from your eyes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We thank you today. All across the world, we thank you, Lord. 
Lord, I pray your blessing over your people. Give them the peace that comes only through your blood, Lord. Bless them, Lord God. Sanctify them, Lord God. Purify them from all of the unrighteousness, Lord God, today, tomorrow, and forever, Lord God. Bless your people. Thank you, and we love you. In your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Everybody say amen. Hallelujah. I'm going to close in a word of prayer. I'm going to make one announcement. We will not be meeting today for our meeting this afternoon. Just have a good time today. Enjoy the Lord. Thank the Lord for what He's done for you. Relax. Say it again. Relax. You hate that quote, don't you? You love Aaron Rodgers. He loves Aaron Rodgers. He's a Bears fan. Relax. Love your family. Know how good God is. Let's have a good time today. Hallelujah. Amen. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your body, your church, Lord God. Here and abroad, Lord God. Bless everybody. Let them have a great day in you, Lord. And uh, bless them as they go, Lord God, and to their workplaces. Tell people about you, Lord. Bless them. In your name we pray. We thank you, Lord. Hallelujah.